I invite you this morning to once again take your Bibles or your electronic devices or the Pew Bible and join me over in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. This morning we will be finishing up our series on goals where we've been talking about finances during this month, and we've talked about them because the Bible has a lot to say on this particular subject. Uh, Beginning next Sunday, we will start a new series that we've entitled Out of Darkness. We're going to be looking at various different passages from the book of Job. Malachi chapter 3 this morning. As we have been going through this series, we've asked a a series of questions, some what-if questions. What if everyone put God first? What if every member of Maranatha Bible Church and every regular attendee of this ministry put God first so that we had no idols in our life? There was nothing that we were putting before God. What would that look like for us? What if everyone in our body was generous? What if we reflected the fact that we have a generous God and we were very generous to all those around us. We asked last week, what if every member and every regular attendee of Maranatha Bible Church was out of debt? Now, debt in and of itself is not a sin, but when we have debt, we're in slavery because the person who borrows is a slave to the lender. And how much more generous could we be as a body and as individuals if we were totally out of debt? And what if everyone gave at least 10% to the church? What would that look like for us as a body? Personally, I think our annual budget would double if every member and every regular attendee were to give 10% were to tithe to the church. Now, this morning, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. This is a message that was written to the children of Israel. Now, I want you to follow along with me as I begin with verse 6. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. 
I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. First of all, as we're starting out looking at this passage, I want to define the term tithe. Tithe means 10%. Whenever you find the word tithe, it just simply means 10%. So throughout this message, you may hear me interchangeably talking about 10% and tithing. It's exactly the same thing. It means 10%. So if you are giving to the Lord, you're not tithing unless you're giving 10%. Tithe equals 10%. Now, the tithe was a requirement for the nation of Israel. It was not optional for them. It was what they were told, commanded to bring. Actually, they were told to bring more than just the 10% at various times. But we're just going to focus on the passage this morning and this issue of 10%. Well, I want you to know that the tithe actually predates the law. Under the law, they were required to give 10%. But even before the law was given, the tithe is mentioned. Back in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Abraham had won a battle. It's when he went to rescue his nephew Lot. And as he was returning from the battle, he met this character of the Old Testament. And we don't have time to explain everything about Melchizedek uh, this morning, except to say that he was a high priest of God. And when Abraham met him, he gave a tithe, 10% of all the spoil that he had taken, he gave to Melchizedek. We also find then in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob gave, promised to give to God a tithe. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob had a dream of a ladder stretching from the earth into heaven. After he woke up from his dream, he made a promise to God in which he told God, God, if you bless me, I will give to you 10% of everything that you blessed me with. So I want you to see that the tithe actually predates both Abraham and Jacob were long before Moses and when the law was given. So the tithe is not only a requirement for the Old Testament Jews, but it is also a principle of operation that we find within the Scripture. Jesus, in addressing the Pharisees, told them that they ought to tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus said this, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Then notice what he says. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, it is true, the Pharisees, Jesus at the time, he's speaking this, it is still the period of law. 
We do not come into the church age or the age of grace until the day of Pentecost, when the church is born. So underneath the law, Jesus addresses the Pharisees, and these were the most religious people uh, probably that ever walked the, the earth. Very legalistic in their desire to please God and do the right things. Jesus said to them, you give a tithe even of your herbs. Now think of that, ladies. Go home and go to all your spices and take 10% of them and, and bring it. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Well, you know, it's a different type of culture, and they tithe of the goods that they grew and the things that they had. But they tithe right down to the very herbs that they use. And Jesus said, you ought to have done this. The problem is you've neglected the more important things. You are so focused on doing the outward things that you've neglected how your heart should be operating. So the tithe, once again, means what? What's it mean? Ten percent. All right, so it's an Old Testament principle. It's an Old Testament requirement. It is within that light that Malachi addresses the people of Israel. And he is speaking for God, and notice in verse 6, he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. He starts as he's going to talk to them about tithing with the fact that the Lord does not change. Now, that's very important. It's important for us to recognize that God is the same, and He is not a God who changes in 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verse 29, we're told this, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Over in the New Testament, we're told in James chapter 1, in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, or shadow due to change. God is immutable. That's what we talk about when we say immutable. It means that He does not change. Now, why is this important for the nation of Israel to recognize? Because it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed God says the very reason you have existence as a nation is because I don't change, and I keep my promises. Because if I didn't keep my promises, the way you all are living would cause me to totally wipe you out. It's important to establish as the foundation that the Lord is consistent and does not change. So, what do you think about when you think about God? What's your image of God? Do you see Him as the loving God? Do you see Him as the caring, merciful God? Do you see Him as a God who is a God of grace? Do you see Him as a giving God? 
The question to the Israelites would be, do they see their God as a God who has met all of their needs and has completely and totally provided for them? We start with this foundation of how do we view God? Do we see Him as generous? Do we see Him as the Almighty God who owns everything? What's, where's the foundation that we start with when we think about our giving to God? To the nation of Israel, Malachi speaking for God here says, "Ah, the Lord does not change. He can be counted on. Now, the next thing that I want you to see in the passage is the charges that are made, both in this passage and earlier in the book, the charges that are made. Let me give you a little insight into prophets. The job of the prophet was to be a covenant prosecutor. What's a prosecutor do? He argues the case in court. He's arguing to convict the defendant that is there. I recently was talking to a couple members of our church, and I asked them about a local prosecutor that's in this area. And I was told, she's a very nice person, but I would never want to be in court with her prosecuting my case. Because she goes right to the letter of the law, and she is not there to provide mercy. She is there to make sure that everybody pays for the crimes that they have committed. That's the job of the prosecutor. In the Bible, a prophet is the covenant prosecutor. The covenant is the agreement between God and His people. So the role of the prophet is to charge the people with how they violated that covenant, how they violated that law, how they violated that agreement. That's why when you read the prophets, some of them seem pretty harsh, don't they? There are words that they have, sometimes it's directed toward Israel, sometimes it's directed toward other nations. But their job is to speak for God to the people saying, this is how you violated your relationship with God. Now, throughout the book of Malachi, we find there are various charges that Malachi levels against the people. In chapter 1, he levels the charge against them that they question God's love. The people, you know, Malachi would say, God loves you, and the people would say, oh, how does God love us? Look at all the problems we have. Look at all the issues that we, we have. No, you are questioning the love of God. All right, secondly, in chapter 1, he charges them because they offer polluted food, blind, lame, and sick animals to the Lord. For their sacrifices that they were required to bring, they were commanded to bring the very best the very best of their gardens, the very best of their animals. Instead of bringing God the best, they were bringing Him polluted food. Instead of bringing the best of their animals, 
they would find their animals that were blind and lame and sick, and they were the ones that would say, I'll give that to the Lord. And Malachi charges them, try doing that with the governor. When the governor puts a tax on you and you must bring animals to him, try taking to the government your blind and lame and sick animals and see what the governor says to you. So he's charged the people with not bringing the best in their sacrifices to the Lord. Chapter 2, he charges the people because they've not kept their wedding vows. He says to the men, you need to remember the wife of your youth. You should not be leaving your wife. You need to remember that when you promise something before God, God expects you to keep that promise. Oh, how when it comes to marriage, that message needs to be heard today. Far too many people are coming to the altar to get married with the idea, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just divorce them and move on. Friends, when we make promises before God, He expects us to keep the promises that we make. And Malachi is saying, you've abandoned the wife of your youth. You've decided you want a prettier, younger model than the one that you've had in the past, so it's time to move on. And God said, you made a promise before me, and you are abandoning the promise that you've made. As we go on into our passage this morning, we see in verse 7, he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. You're not keeping God's commands. God has told you certain things to do, and you just are not keeping them at all. And then we come down into verse 8, and we read, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions, you have robbed me. These are the charges that Malachi, speaking for God, is bringing to the nation of Israel. You know, robbing God is an awful sin. And we, he can be robbed in many ways. He can be robbed of his honor. He can be robbed of his devotion. He can be robbed of service. He can be robbed of time and of money. You know, if I'm going to rob someone, it wouldn't be God. You know, I've never understood people who think that they will rob God. You know, I just, if I'm going to rob someone, I think I'll choose someone other than God to be the one that I'm going to rob. Well, from the charges, we then get an invitation. Look at it in verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. Oh, how I love that about our God. I am so thankful for that. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Someone has said years ago, 
If you've been close to God in the past and you're not close to him now, guess who moved? It's not God who moved. I am so thankful that my God remains faithful and does not change. And so that I, when I get off the path that I should be on and I repent of my sins and turn to him, that he is always there for me. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. He tells us to bring to him what is his. Bring to me what's mine, he says, verses 9 and 10. You are cursed with a curse. See, the nation of Israel, when they're saying, you know, God doesn't love me because of all the things that are happening, the reason they are having hardship is they have been cursed with a curse by God. They've disobeyed God, and God's discipline is upon them. So God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing the whole nation of you. It wasn't just a few of them in the nation. He is indicting the whole nation here, that the whole nation is robbing God and not obeying Him. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. They were bringing less than the tithe and calling it a tithe and giving it to God. Bring to me what is mine, God is saying. Then in verse 10, he's saying, put me to the test. Now, as far as I can determine, there's only three times in the Bible where I see uh, God inviting people to put him to the test. One is the case with Elijah when fire is called down from heaven. Another is the case with King Ahaz where God made him a promise and he says, ask of me a sign. And Ahaz refuses to ask of the sign and God gives him a sign anyway that's the promise of the virgin birth. And the third place is here, put me to the test. God says to the nation, try me out. Test me in this. I am the God who does not change. I am the same. Test me in this. The next thing that we see in the passage is the promised blessing. The blessing. Look at it in verse 10. It says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven. Now, this was an agricultural society. They were farmers, primarily. And what do you need for your crops? You need good weather. You need rain at the proper times and not at the wrong times. God says, try me. And see if I do not open the windows of heaven, and you will be blessed. Notice he also says in verse 10, If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Trust, trust me. Put me to the test. See if I will not so bless you that all your needs will be met. And then he says in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer. 
the devourer will be rebuked. Well, the devourer to them would have been little worms that would attack their plants and destroy their crops. It would be insects, it would be disease that would hit the the plants. And God is saying, try me in this, I will rebuke the devourer. Trust me and see the blessing that I will pour upon you. Now, we've been talking about all of this in the context of the Old Testament and in a message that was given to the nation of Israel. Look back at how it begins in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob. Another way of talking about Israel. Tithing was required for the nation of Israel. But what about in the New Testament? What about giving for today? What are we required to do? Are we required to give 10% to God? Pastor, can you show me in the Bible where it says as New Testament saints that we are required to give 10% to God? And the answer is no, I cannot. I can't. I can show you that it's a principle throughout the Bible. I can tell you it's a requirement for the Old Testament saints. But nowhere in Paul's writings or in the writings of the epistles does it say you must give 10% to the Lord. But let's talk about what it does say for us. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, it tells us we are to give as God has prospered us. We're to give as we have been prospered. So as one of the most prosperous nations in the world, and as a people who have been blessed by God with many financial blessings, what should we be giving? We are to recognize that everything belongs to God. Even in the Old Testament, that truth was taught. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God owns everything. So if you have this attitude, and and I've heard this taught before. I've even heard this preached before. And I've heard them pound the pulpit while they preached it. You give 10% to God, the other 90% is yours to use however you want. If that's how you're giving, you're not pleasing God. If you're giving God 10% and you're using 90% to consume upon your lusts and to spend on things that are here today and gone tomorrow, that's not a way to please God. Now look, I'm not preaching against you having things here. God knows the things that we need. He says, our Heavenly Father knows. We need a place to live. We need food on our table. We need clothes to wear. Those things we need. But we are to give to God as He has prospered us. 2 Corinthians 8, 3, we're told we're to give cheerfully. Word means hilariously. It will be okay if later when we take the offering, if some people break out laughing while they give their offering. Now, hopefully you're not laughing at how small your offering is, but you're laughing because you have the opportunity to give to the Lord's work. Now, hear me this morning very clearly. If you cannot give with a cheerful heart, keep your money. Keep it. It's okay. 
And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're sitting here and, and maybe this is your first Sunday, it's oh, another one of those church messages, all they care about is your money, that's all they want, your money, your money. If Jesus doesn't have your heart, keep your money. I don't want you to drop something in the offering plate later when it's passed and think in some way you're getting brownie points with God because you're not. The issue for you is giving your heart and life to the Lord. We are to give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 8.3 says we are to give sacrificially. It should cost us something to give. If we can just give and it has no effect on us at all, we need to question, is that a sacrifice? We are to give sacrificially. You know, we have kind of an attitude that, you know, we want everybody else to give so that things will happen. Just don't take any more from me. Uh, that seems to be the way our government is functioning this way. You know, tax everybody else, just don't tax me. Now, there is a role that our government has in taking care of the poor that are in our that are within our, our boundaries here within this country. But it is also the responsibility of the church to meet the needs of the people within the church and also to meet the needs of those in the community around us. And I just feel that if the church had been doing a better job throughout the years, many of these needs would be being met. But we are to give sacrificially. It should cost us something. I had two stories I was going to share here, but I'm only going to share one of them because of time. Not too long ago, well, actually it was three years ago, Barb and I were out to eat, and the waitress came to our table, and she looked at Barb, and she says, oh, I love those earrings that you're wearing. And she walked away, and I said to Barb, Barb, you ought to give her those earrings, but Butch, they're my favorite earrings. I said, I know that they're your favorite earrings, but you ought to give them to her. Uh, you know what? I said, I'll get you another pair. I'll get you another pair just like them. You ought to give them to her. But I don't want to give them to her. <laughs> I said, okay, you examine your heart before the Lord. <laughs> And if you don't want to give them to her, I'm not going to make you. So she took the earrings out and gave them to the waitress. I gilded her pretty good that day. For over three years, I've been looking for a pair of earrings like those. <laughs> Cannot find them anywhere. They were silver with two special dangles that, that held down and uh, that, that hung down, and I cannot find them anyway. Finally, this last Christmas, after three years, I found something close to them. But, but see, it was real easy for me to tell her, you ought to give her this. No sacrifice for me for her to give up her earrings. We are not to give to the Lord that which doesn't cost us something. We are to give sacrificially. There should be a cost for us in giving. And then we are to give thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. Our giving should be planned. 
It shouldn't be just, what do we have left over? We're going to give to the Lord. After I pay all the bills, whatever else is left there, I'll give that to the Lord. We try doing that with your taxes. Try doing that with, with the federal government, saying, you know what, I'll give you whatever I have left over in my taxes. That's for you to take. No, we're to give to the Lord first. And we are to give thoughtfully. It needs to be planned out as to what we are to give. Let me make some application for us this morning. First of all, if you are not giving regularly, start with some percentage. Some of you, because of in the past the way that you've handled your finances, right now you may not be able to give a tithe. And I am not suggesting to you this morning, please hear me, I know some other preachers have preached this, but I'm not suggesting this to you, that you take 10% and not pay your bills. You give 10% to the Lord and not pay your bills. Well, they say, well, if you trust God, wait a second, some of your finances are so messed up that every penny you have is going out to pay past debts. That's why we talked about earlier what would it be like if we all got out of debt? Start with some percentage to the Lord. If it can't be 10%, some of you have the idea, it's either 10% or nothing. Well, no, start somewhere. Start with a percentage that you will plan to give to the Lord, and as you get out of debt, increase that percentage as you go along, and that's application number two. If you're giving less than a tithe, trust God and increase your percentage. Increase your percentage at least until you get to 10%. And you may say, well, wait a second. You've already told me, Butch, it's not required in the Bible. New Testament giving doesn't require that I give a 10%. Yeah, that's true. Let me ask you a question. Is your reasoning, because I'm more prosperous than they were, I'm going to give less? Because it's not required I'm going to give less. Because we have been given more blessings than the nation of Israel has been given, I'm going to give less. See, I can say to you, husbands, this morning, nowhere in the Bible does it say you should kiss your wife more than once a week. So you're going to say, well, I'll kiss her once a week because I need to do that. You say, but you can't show me in the Bible where it requires. I have to kiss her every day. Hopefully you're kissing her more than once a week. If not, you've got problems that need to be worked out there as well. I don't kiss my wife because I'm required to do it. I kiss my wife because it's an expression of love and because I love her. I kiss her each and every day and more than once a day. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart, not an issue of requirement. Thirdly, if you're giving a tithe, or more than a tithe, ask God if you, if you are giving what He desires you to give. See, it's an issue of the heart. It's not about a percentage. It's about a relationship with the Lord. It's about a love relationship with Him. Let me just share with you very briefly here this morning, personal testimony. 
I was taught as a child to give 10% to the Lord. When I was young and I was given an allowance, my dad set me down and said to me, 10% of what you get belongs to the Lord, and if you want the Lord to bless you, you need to give 10% to Him. Because I started doing that when I was seven or eight years old, I can say to you, giving has never been an issue in my life. Because I established it as a part of my obedience to the Lord. And I want to share with you, God has met every one of my needs. God has blessed me financially far above what I ever imagined that he would do. Our God does not change. And he can be trusted. And he can be trusted with our finances. Are you robbing God? Or are you giving to him? what he would require of you to give. Let's pray. Father, help us that we might be faithful to you, that we might serve you, and that we might honor you, not only with what we have, but with our whole hearts. Help us that we might be wholly devoted to you. And Father, as we give this morning, May it be an expression of our love and our obedience to you. May you bless this offering and use it for the advancement of your work around the world so that our Savior Jesus may be glorified. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.